Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The information contained on this platform represents the opinion of the host and shall not be understood, construed as, or a substitute for medical or health advice. Please see a health professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. It's the Black Health 365 podcast, and we are here to make sure you look good on the outside and even better on the inside. After all, looking good, feeling good, and living a healthy lifestyle 365 days of the year should be a daily choice. Here at the Black Health 365 podcast, we will address the healthcare disparities within the Black community with trusted voices and information to empower a healthy lifestyle. Ain't that right, Britt? I'm talking about mind, body, and soul. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Black Health 365 podcast. I am your host, radio personality, fitness guru, Jackie Page, with the one and the only... Britt Daniels, fit life coach, yogi at heart, personal trainer, serial entrepreneur, all the things just like Jackie. I'm glad to be here. Come out. I didn't say all of that. So you can't say just like Jackie because Jackie always said some things, okay? No, you be working, Jackie. Black people love titles. You know, we love titles. So, you know, we got to lay them out. We got to lay them out. This is true. I do be working, but you literally was just like, yeah, I do this. I do that. I do backflips. I also cook over here. Like, I didn't get that. Like, I need to step my game up because it's giving. Yeah, I I don't sound as like fancy as you do. I'm going to do better (laughs) this week. I promise I am. It's all good. (laughs) <laughs> hey, Jackie, one thing I'm trying to do this week is just move in peace and maintain. And I think that's a, a great place to start with our Dharma Talks, right? We do these things called Dharma Talks 365ers, where basically it's a little small sermon, a little affirmation just to set the tone for the conversation. As we are transitioning into the colder months, I think this Dharma Talk is really important. Extend grace to not only yourself, but the people around you. Listen, we are all trying to get through life the best we can with all the traumas that we dealt with growing up, right? You never know what people are going through. So it's important that you give grace. And it's also important that you talk to yourself the way that you want to be talked to. I think a lot of times we get so attached to these self-incriminating thoughts that lead to strife. It's important that you cultivate a language um, of grace for yourself so that you can prosper. Every day's 100% is not going to be the same. Every day's 100% is not going to be the same. So it's important that you simply show up. And there it is. Dharma talk, extend grace to yourself. Period. And speaking of extending grace to yourself, Britt, um, I know seeing on social media, we've done a number of things together. Um, I know you've had to extend a lot of grace to yourself over the years. And I kind of want to pivot today's um, Black Health 365 podcast um, and talk about your story, Um, because you have a very and I don't want to say interesting story in a bad way, but interesting story as in like interest like it's literally interesting a lot of people see you and they're like oh my gosh he's always had his life together he's so freaking amazing oh he's eye candy but you like i said before you have a story you've gone through some things and you've had to extend some grace to yourself um 
So yeah. today I kind of want to talk about, and I've seen it on social media. Um, we've never really talked about it before. So I kind of want to talk to you about it today. I don't want this to throw you off, um, but I think it will be impactful and helpful to our 365ers. Um, so sharing a little bit about your your story and substance abuse, because like I said, I've seen you kind of refer to it on social media but I've never like asked. So I'm just like, you know, I think this may be something that we need to talk about on the Black Health 365 podcast. So right. I don't want to throw you for, a, you know, I don't want this to be an alley. Like what's going on? But, yeah. you know, um, can you are you can you share your story with us? Absolutely. I think it's such a power and the vulnerability um, of, of telling about talking about our narratives and substance abuse is a topic that obviously touches a lot of black Americans, unfortunately, and we suffer from these issues disproportionately than other communities. Um, and a lot of who I am today and what I went through um, dealt with substance abuse and how I overcame it. I wouldn't be who I am today without those experiences. So, yeah, I'll be happy to talk about it. Um, it is a very vulnerable place, again, to talk about. Um, as I'm talking, I'm probably going to be working through it in my head about how to even explain what I went through. But to start from the beginning, um, I'm from Albany, Georgia, birthplace of Ray Charles, real country. You know, I had no concept of health growing up. And a lot of people in my family struggle with obesity and mental health issues. And so, you know, a lot of times we didn't have the the understanding of what health was. Um, I didn't have access to a lot of resources growing up. And so, yeah, um, it wasn't until I went to to college that I became vividly aware of how unhealthy I was. Um, I was the first in my family to go to a PWI on a full academic scholarship. Um, I thought I wanted to become a politician. <laughs> and I went to Georgetown University um, here in Washington, D.C. And my first two years were, I'm not going to lie to you, difficult is an understatement. Um, I didn't even, you know, my parents didn't even come to see me off. You know, I didn't even visit the school. Um, I just got to Georgetown and I had no sense of guidance. Um, and so, unfortunately, I didn't. I wasn't addressing a lot of the issues, mental health issues I had growing up. Um, to take a step back even further, my father was a Marine, a drill sergeant. So it was a lot of complexity there in my childhood growing up. Um, and so a lot of the, the turmoil that I was feeling, I tried to numb out with, with drugs, specifically um, marijuana, alcohol, pills, you know, some people may say that marijuana is not a, something you can abuse, but I, I certainly was. And, you know, with no exaggeration, I was probably smoking like an ounce a day, drinking like two bottles of wine, popping pills, anything just to numb myself out. And about two years into my college experience of just really burning bridges after bridge after bridge, um, I had almost a complete psychotic breakdown where I had to take a medical leave of absence. And so... My father, who was stationed in, Jap in Japan at the time, even though we didn't have the best relationship, he allowed me to go stay with him in Japan um, just so I can get my life together. And so while I was there, I was pretty much withdrawing from all the drugs I was I was I was on. And so, you you know, you talk about all the symptoms of sweats, obsessive thoughts, sense of hopelessness. You know, I had no sense of purpose and I had burned so many bridges that I felt like a complete failure. You know, I had got to Georgetown on an academic scholarship. You know, I thought I had did so much in my life and I felt like I was on rock bottom. And so when I was in Japan, I really had nothing else to do other than really try to cultivate my mind. And so I would just start reading everything from neuroscience to positive psychology to Buddhism to Taoism, something to give me a sense of understanding of my mind so that I could step forward. And um, from those studies, I realized maybe I should start to go, you know, work out. 
before then I was 70 pounds overweight from what I am now. Um, I had never worked out a day before. I was a nerdy kid. I never played sports growing up. Um, so hard to believe, right? You know, people see me now and like, oh, the abs. Oh, you must have been doing this all your life. But absolutely not. I hated working out growing up. Absolutely hated working out. And so I would go to this Navy base in um, Ayase, Japan, um, and just get on the elliptical. I didn't know how to work out. I didn't know how to lift weights. I'll just get on the elliptical and move my body. Again, I was withdrawing from all the drugs. And um, I would watch these Navy guys work out. Um, and this one Navy SEAL would come talk to me. And he would say, his name was John. He was like, hey, bro, you seem real stressed out. You should try yoga. I'm a black guy from the South. I don't know what the hell yoga is. But I was at such a low point in my life. I was like, you know what? I'll try anything. I walk into this yoga class. It's a blonde haired white woman teacher and about seven Japanese women. And they look at me like, what the hell is going on? Um, did you not feel the same way walking in there? Like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah, I did. And I felt at first so out of place. But once we started to actually practice and go through the motions and go through the asanas and go through the breath work, it immediately spoke to me, immediately spoke to me. Um, I've always been a very sensitive person. But before my exploration into mental health, uh, mindfulness and, and working out, uh, I'm, I'm a Gemini, so I, I, I was on big Gemini energy growing up. And um, I used to think that I had to re react to things. And I think a lot of black men do. They think they got to react to things with aggression uh, when someone step on your toes or, or offend your ego. And um, yoga, fortunately, became my vehicle of self-inventory. It allowed me to do, allowed me to understand how I, how I think, how I, um, why, what my virtues are and what, you know, the, and the importance of those virtues. Right. And so I fell in love with yoga. And honestly, my love for yoga translated into a love for movement in, ge in general. So I, I kind of found purpose in movement. And sometimes I tell my clients and my students that sometimes the best way to get out of your head is to get into your body because our bodies are our subconscious mind. And it's important that we work on it constructively. Right. That mind, body, soul connection is real. And so um, I started lifting weights as a means to enhance my yoga practice. Right. And lo and behold, after about two years of living in Japan on medical leave of absence, um, I sobered up. This big conversation here about uh, students who leave on medical leave of absence and then go back to college because a lot of them fall into the same pitfalls when they go back. So I actually relapsed when I went back to college at Georgetown. And that was unfortunate. And, you know, talking about how life is not linear. A lot of people think life is linear. You figure things out, you check things off. But life is really a spiral. and You circle back on the same truths, find deeper meaning each time. And so I probably relapsed about four or five times going back and forth between Japan and Georgetown. Like I'll go to school, start the semester off good. And then towards the middle of the semester, all the stress compounded. And I started the triggers caused me to, you know, start abusing substances again mm -hmm. and then I'll go back to Japan sober up and so that lasted until almost I finished college um, but my senior year actually I managed to stay sober for most of the year until about two weeks before graduation and unfortunately I had like a bad um, a bad argument with a, with a woman I was talking to at the time and then um, I was taking uh, antidepressants and so um, I started drinking and smoking and doing pills while on the um the antidepressants and that caused my brain to flatline again and i entered another state of psychosis and it was very difficult i remember telling none of my family i, I remember telling my family members i didn't want anyone to be there because i was so numbed out and i was so out of it my mom still showed up um but she was very concerned very concerned and so for about six months um you know i, I left dc to go stay with my parents 
I felt like a complete failure. And it's, it's, it's crazy to say this because I had did all that self-work in Japan and I felt like I was at rock bottom again. Um, but after about six months of staying with my parents, I had sobered up again. They had moved to Alabama from Japan. And so at about six months, something just snapped to me. Uh, I remember I was telling my dad that, you know, I just don't want to be alive no more. And, my, you know, my dad in healing, I can recognize that he cared for me and he, he just had his own language of expressing it to me. But when I told him that he was like, you know, nobody going to save you. Um, and he was right. Nobody was going to save me. And so um, I just got my shit together. <laughs> And so I, I came back to D.C. on May. No, no, on de- on December 25th. Actually, I came back to D.C. on Christmas Day. Wow. And then I committed myself to just changing my life. Like I was, you know, I just I had to say, like, you know, like, no one was going to save me. Um, I stumbled across this book called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, who is this Navy SEAL. And I read the book about six times. You know, this book really spoke to me and his mindset um, really spoke to me. You know, he was a Navy SEAL black guy who went through a lot in life. And his ethos is really, look, do the work. No matter what you go through or what you went through, yeah, that sucks. But it's important that you cultivate a language of vulnerability without victimhood. It's your responsibility to get your shit together and get your life together. And so that really spoke to me. And I would just start going to the gym like crazy, like two hours a day reading everything I could, um, started working at a gym, became a personal trainer, got certified in yoga and, uh, you know, start working, living through my gift, started living through my gift. Uh, I started working at this place called Vita Fitness in Washington, D.C., was one of the number one trainers in the company. And eventually I realized that, hey, I want to do my own thing. So about a year and a half ago, um, I opened up my own business and I own three businesses. And so when I talk about these things, substance abuse and my story is kind of crazy because it was such a different person. But at the end of the day, in the back of my head, I know if I don't stay sharp, I could fall back into those pitfalls. So I'm constantly um, observing on what could be my triggers. So what are some of those? What were some of your triggers? What are some of your triggers? Um, and s- some of the triggers would be crowds, you know, cra- you know, parties. You know, I, I make sure I-, I personally don't go to bars and clubs anymore because I know the environment may not be conducive to where I want to be at. So um, those are one things. Um, high stress environments. College was a high stress environment for me. I'm a Gemini. I'm a very much I consider an organic intellectual. I don't like being put in a box and being told how to think and what to do. So that stressed me the hell out. Um, and yeah, so those are some some major triggers. Um, when I tell you I have like a slew of questions, I have a slew of questions because uh, we, you know, we have worked um, a lot in like the the workout realm, but yeah. never like actually sat down and had this conversation. I've always seen it on your social media and I've always kind of wanted to talk about it. And now that you're opening up about it, I'm just like, yo, this is in 365ers. I think this is a gym that you can take away. Um, you know, you never know what somebody's gone through. You never know the face that somebody has to put on every day. So going back to what you said in the Dharma talk, like giving people grace, because you just don't, you just don't know. Like I said, I've seen you talk about it on social media, but, but I did not know it was like this extensive, like, it's, it's, it's crazy to look at you now and say like, Brit, there's no way like that was you like, no, it's crazy. That's not Brit Daniels. No, I had the before and after pics. Yeah. 365. You want to go to my Instagram, profitfitness.life. The before and after pics are crazy. Like a complete different person. I had little dreadlocks. I had a little, little Gucci belly, old school Gucci belly, you know, it it was, you know, 
it's, it's such a pleasure, Jackie, to be here and to be able to speak about these things, because when I was going through it, I had no language to explain what I was going through. And so I would isolate myself. Um, and if someone questioned me, I would react in, in, in anger, you know. And so these are the things a lot of I think a lot of black men, but a lot of people, men in general, women, everybody, when you're. When you feel like your back, uh, Nipsey Hussle said it the best. When you feel like your your back against the wall and your ribs touching your your skin, you don't operate from a sense of morality. And so I'm not proud of some of the things I used to do back in the day, but I was operating out of a survival mindset. And so I'm just so happy to be operating from a um, a flourishing mindset now, and I can look back on those things with healings. And yeah, some of those bridges I burnt, I never repaired, but some I have. Um, and all I can do now is just speak about my story and say, hey, it's okay that you're going through this but you're going to get up out of it. You're going to prosper. When did you, because sometimes when we're going through something, we don't realize that we're going through it. At what point in time did you realize, like, I actually have a substance abuse issue. Like I'm, I'm actually dealing with something. Yeah. I would say I was always aware of it. It's kind of crazy. Like I was kind of always aware that it was an issue because I knew how it affected my relationships on the outside. And although I had self-awareness around it, I wasn't addressing it in a healthy way. And so I just continued to numb myself out with the substances, even though I was aware of it. I would say, yeah, I was always aware of it. So when but you- it was until my sophomore year where I really had like one big mental breakdown that I like, look, I got to get up out of here. Mm-hmm. I cannot be here. COVID-19 moves fast. And now you can too. If you feel symptoms, even if they're mild, you should test fast. Test positive and at high risk for severe COVID-19? Then act fast with authorized oral treatments that can be taken at home and must be taken within five days from when symptoms begin. COVID-19 moves fast. And now you can too by asking your healthcare provider if an oral treatment is right for you. Learn about a treatment option at TreatCV19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. I was forced by the university to go to a psychologist and AA meetings. The AA meetings I, I enjoyed, actually, because I got to hear other narratives. But I'm not going to lie to you. The, the the conversations I had at my college and the psychology departments, you know, I, I didn't enjoy it. I felt like I was demeaned. I felt like the power dynamic was, was very shifted. It was, you know, it was a white guy in this chair talking to me like I had some, all these issues. I didn't feel welcome. And so that was unfortunate because now I do believe in the benefits of therapy. But at the time, I was like, these people don't care about me. Now, do you feel that way? Complete transparency. Do you feel like that because feel that way because it was a white man? Do you feel like it would have been different had you sat across from somebody your same skin complexion? It could have been the case. Um, I think there's a lack of sensitivity training in a lot of these spaces, um, therapeutic spaces. And unfortunately, I didn't have the best experience. But maybe someone else did with that person. So I'm just telling you about my experience. Um, But where I'm at now. Um, I, I, I do understand and recognize the benefits of therapeutic help It's very important. And I don't think people, um, especially of our skin color, skin color should be, um, um, apprehensive about going to a therapist. Britt, when did you first, um, when you first started using substances, were you using substances as a, like, oh, I'm just experimenting, like, oh, this is a. I'm going to do this every so often when I'm out with my friends or when you started, were you doing this to numb some of the the past traumas that you had gone through? Yeah, I think it really started off as just experimentation. Um, I went to high school in Hawaii and as you know, Hawaii is big on cannabis culture, um, but it wasn't really a problem there. It wasn't until I got to college where it became an excessive issue. Um, and so 
when I got to college, it came more so of a, a self-numbing aspect because I felt this huge sense of um, imposter syndrome being at Georgetown University. I was, again, the first in my family to go to a PWI. And I just felt this constant pressure that I wasn't good enough. And I know that was a lot of that compounded into a lot of the anxiety I had. Um, and then, yeah, it became more and more of a numbing. It, it's still it's some experimentations. Um, but, yeah, it became more of a just a numbing myself out. Um and I just wouldn't address the things I needed to. When did you, what age did you have your first, like, I don't want to call it a mental breakdown, um, but at what age did you have that first breakdown? So going back to when it was my sophomore year, I went to college. I was a freshman in 2012. Um, it was really 2014. Um, and I had to be, how old was I there? Around 20 years old. Around 20 years old when I had my first complete breakdown. And when I tell you this breakdown, you know, I know this is triggering for a lot of people, some, for some people who may be listening to this, but the breakdown, it's, it's really hard to wrap language around it. You know, imagine if you saw a lion walking across the street, your, your, your senses are going to go on red alert, like, oh, my God, danger. My entire experience was that at every single moment of every single day, my anxiety was constantly going off, just constantly. Even my sleep, my dreams were nightmares. It was a terrible experience terrible terrible experience that would last for months on end um and i would smoke to try to numb myself out again and then it just create a cycle and at first it was okay when i went through a sober spell but then it started to numb me out so much that i couldn't feel anything like to be completely real with you like i didn't have any libido or anything and so i actually started back when i had a relapse again that time i started back you know i'm using substances as just a means to feel something I wanted to know why some people who get COVID-19 get it so bad. I found out it may be because they have a high risk factor, such as heart disease, diabetes, being overweight, smoking, and asthma. Even if symptoms feel mild, these factors can increase your risk of COVID-19 turning severe. So if you're at high risk and test positive, there are things you can do, like asking your healthcare provider if an authorized oral treatment is right for you. Learn about an option at TreatCovid19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. Did your family and like friends notice like he has a substance abuse situation going on? Did they? Was I, of, go ahead. Yeah, that was one of the most difficult parts of the experience because um, I had a very public breakdown when I was in college and a lot of people were super aware of it. Um, and the shame and the, the guilt I felt from that carried with me when I went back to school and which caused me, I think, to relapse again, too. But my family didn't really know what I was going through. And I, I say this, I have a great relationship with my family now. Um, but at the time, they really didn't understand what I was going through. And all they could do was just provide me a space to figure my own stuff out. And yes, I probably should have gone, continued to see uh, professional help. But at the time, I didn't. Um, they didn't understand that that was a resources that needed to be tapped into. I didn't really understand that. And so um, I put all that weight on me to really figure my life out. And I'm not saying what I did is what people should do. Yes, you should go get go get help. Um, but again, it's about cultivating a language of vulnerability without adopting victimhood. Get the help that you need and apply the skills so that you can get out of your situation. What are some signs? I just I wonder, listening to your story, you know, were there things that family and friends could have noticed that could have helped you helped you earlier on? Or was there literally, literally nothing that that showed signs of like, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm 
I'm, you know, abusing substances. I need help. I'm struggling right now. Like, were there anything that anybody could have noticed? Um, Because again, you know, we're talking to our 365ers. They may be listening and they may suspect or think that somebody around them may be going through the same thing that you're doing, but, you know, they really don't know. So they're kind of looking for that sign or that one thing, Uh, you know, and I know everybody's story is, I know everybody's story is different, but were there things that you would say, like, look out for this, look out for this, look out for that? You know, misery likes to keep company. And so unfortunately, a lot of the people I was friends with were doing the same things I was doing. Mm. And so that was unfortunate that I put myself in those situations because, you know, once that we, you know, we were just all, we was on a bandwagon together, you know, but my family, um, yes, there were still people who tried to reach out. You know, there was, you know, my counselors, um, there were some of my professors. Um, most of them, I actually don't feel like they cared, but some of them did. And some of them tried to reach out to me. Um, but some of the triggers, if you're, if someone's not showing up to work, to class, they're starting to isolate themselves. Um, if you notice people that, you know, if they were once really bright and cheery and they're not looking you in the eye, um, you can tell by someone's skin that they starting to abuse, honestly, um, how they're eating. Right. And so these are like little small points, um, that, you know, could really help you say, oh, this person may be going through something. How can I extend a hand of help without making them feel insecure? Um, yeah, because a lot of times people try to reach out to me and my pride and my ego, like, ain't nothing wrong. Get out of my face. How, but how do you do that? And that was going to be my next question, because I feel like if I come to you um, and I'm not saying you in general, but, you know, I feel like I, 365ers may be listening and they're like, hey, if I come to this person, they may get defensive. You said it yourself. You know, you want big, big Gemini energy, like bag, yeah. bag. I ain't got time for it. So, like, how do you approach somebody and how do you stand in and assist and help? Because it can be difficult. I'll be real with you. I think that's a a great question to ask a professional. Um, I can only tell you what my experience was. Um, In my experience, um, I'll be real with you. In my experience, I really didn't want to listen to nobody. In my experience, I was like, I got to figure this out on my own. And I got to figure out those tools on my own. And yeah, that sounds very egotistic. But um, yeah. Um, that's, that's what I put in place. Yeah. Every, I think to answer your question though, I think it's, it's different from everybody. Yeah. That hand, how you extend that hand is different from everybody. Yeah. Was it hard going cold Turkey? Because you said the last time you came back, you were like, I just got to get my ish together. Yeah. Was it hard at that moment to like go? Cause in the fitness realm, we like to say, start slow and grow, you know, right. not built overnight. In your respective case with substance abuse, you literally was like, I'm done. I'm cutting this off. Mm-hmm. Was that hard? It was hard in the sense of the withdrawals, because when you just immediately cut something off your body, your body is literally withdrawing from the substances, the chemicals that were in your body. And so those those withdrawals are rough. The sweats, the you know, the, the panic attacks, um, yeah, the excessive thoughts. That was hard. But I, I can't explain it to you, Jackie, other than something clicked in my head. And I was like, because it was so many years of me dealing with the same issue over and over again. Something clicked in me, say, you know what? I had enough. I got to get my life together. No one's going to save me. I think that in and of itself is powerful. Like nobody is going to save you. And the fact that your father said that was literally I was when you said that earlier, my mouth was wide open. I was just like, yeah, what? he said it out of love. He said it out of love. And that's what I needed to hear. That's why I say everybody's. 
everybody's hand a great. That's what I need to hear. I grew up in a military family, so I need to hear somebody tell me, no, baby, it's going to be. No, I need someone to tell me, look, get your, get your mind together, boy. Like, get it together. And that's what worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, on, on this journey, I would like to say that I'm, I'm still in the process of healing. Again, life is a spiral. We circle back on the same truths and find deeper meaning each time. And so everything I do in my business and who I am as a man today, um, it speaks from an ethos of self-development and growth mindset. And so every single day I live with full intention so that I don't, I don't, so I don't fall back to those same pitfalls. And so, yeah, I'm hyper aware of who I put myself around and what I allow into my environment. How was how was your journey during the pandemic? Because, you know, we heard um, a lot of stories of people falling into substance abuse um, because, you know, there was a lot of isolation, a lot of um, death happening. So as somebody who experienced substance abuse before the pandemic, how was that journey during the pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like the pandemic really reshaped the so many people's understanding of health. I feel like the world, that was a time for everybody to really reset, right? Um, I went sober on December 25th of 2018. And so the pandemic, of course, happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I managed to, of course, stay sober throughout the entire period. But that's not to say I had dealt with a lot of depression during that time period because um, I was a trainer. I didn't know if the gyms were going to open back up. And so a lot of times um, I spent most of that time alone, actually. Um, I was in I went to Alabama to stay with my family again because I didn't want to be in my little studio apartment in Washington, D.C. And um, I didn't really have any friends at the time or anything to do. We didn't have a gym. Everything was closed. And so I was in my head a lot. And so a lot of the issues that I used to feel when I was younger that caused me to do substance abuse, I had to just deal with. I just had to face it. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, again, I didn't fall back into the same pitfalls, but it was tough. The pandemic was really tough for me. I'm not going to lie to you, but we got about out of it. We did. Britt, I am still just kind of like, wow. Like I, you know, going back to the Dahmer talk, you just never know. Yeah. You have no idea what somebody has been through, what they're going through, what they may go through. I just feel like that is the gem that we should all kind of just take away. Me, myself as well, like the gem that we should all take away today is just like, you never know. Like, give that grace because life is lifing for people. Life is lifing. And to, to just extend it back to the full community, 365ers, again, if you know someone that's struggling with substance abuse, I hope that you can cultivate a language to help them feel safe and heard as they're going through it. It's not easy, but a helping hand really does go a long way. How are family and friends helping you now? Um, you know, you, you, you've said that, you know, you're doing a lot better. You're, you're sober off a lot. You're sober off of everything. So how are family and friends kind of, especially now that you're talking about it, you're really sharing your journey. Um, you know, how are family and friends helping you now? I would say my friends just know not to ask me to go certain places. Like my friends know not to ask me to go to a party or go to a club or go out for drinks or happy hour. Yeah, I think that's the, probably the biggest thing I, I've learned to set boundaries where it's just things that I know don't serve me and my spirit. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I've been able to communicate with my friends and they've been re- very receptive for that. I did lose friends who I used to party with and everything. And that's OK. They, you know, once you realize that the drugs are keeping you together, that, you know, it, it's not a, it was a superficial relationship. So I've found better and more richer relationships in sobriety. Have any of those old friends, uh, you know, 
come back to come back to you on some like, hey, you know, I was I'm going through or was going through the same issue as you. Um, has anybody like come out and actually, I guess, revealed to you that they were going through a substance abuse issue as well? Absolutely. A, a couple of them, actually. And I just all I can do is tell people from my experience. I'm not a professional. I can tell you from my experience what I did systematically to get my head together. I started working out. I started educating myself on the body and the mind. I started separating myself from um, environments that don't serve me. Um, and yeah, so I just spoke from my experience when they reach out to me. I have no problem talking about what I went through at all. And so um, I think some were receptive to it. Others, you know, they got their own journeys they got to figure out. Mm-hmm. Britt, I'm still just like, wow. Yeah. Because, wow. you know, I've known you for a few years now, and this is just a story that... I never thought to ask. We got into this Black Health 365 podcast and I'm just like, you know, when we both came into this, we we both said like we wanted to change lives and being open and vulnerable about our stories and what we've gone through and what we're going through. Um, you know, we said that we were open and willing to do that. So, you know, as your colleague, as your co-host, thank you so much for sharing your story because impactful and, and wow is simply all I can say. Um, you know, if if somebody's listening right now, one of the 365ers are listening and they need a bit of encouragement or just, you know, need something to, something to, I don't want to say something to do, but if they, a final thought, um, a call to action, something that they can do with this bit of information from today. I'm, I'm still just kind of like, wow, I, 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 Brit, I never knew. I didn't know. And I, I, I feel like, and I know you're still like you, you're sober, um, but I feel like I should have known. I don't know. It's just, it's a weird place. Does that make sense? It's a weird kind of space to be in right now. Yeah. Again, we all have powerful narratives and it's, it's important sometimes that we share those narratives. So we understand that we, again, trying to just get through this life the best we can. But yeah. in terms of calls to action, you know, for people in the black community or in the general community that are struggling with substance abuse, there are resources that you can reach out to. Um, one of those resources is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration. That's SAMHSA.gov. They have confidential free help from the public health agencies to find substance abuse use treatment and information. You also have something called the SAFE Project, Stop Addiction Fatality Epidemic. If you know someone going through substance abuse, try to get them help, man. It's important. But recognize that where they are in that moment does not define who they are as a whole. Stay in grace where you can. Anything yeah, else you got to say, Jackie? No, I just, I, I love the extend grace where you can. And now knowing your story, um, I don't think I've ever put you in any crazy situation. And I don't want to say crazy situations, but I don't think I've ever been like, hey, like, let's go to the club. Um, but knowing your story now puts me in a position to, and we do this as trainers, serve our, 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 our friendship, our, our, our businesses better, because I, I know, um, I, I know your story. So, um, I guess that would be my thing to the 365ers is, you know, listen to people's story and learn how to serve them and meet them where they are, um, to help them grow as well as to help you grow. Um, yeah, I'm just still just kind of like, I just never, Brit, I never knew, never knew. And it just, I'm at a state, and I think it's pretty evident, um, not to say that I'm speechless, but just like, wow, I just can't believe 
looking at you that that's something that you went through. So extend grace where grace can be extended 365ers. That would be um, my big thing right now. Um, So as always, we are always here to answer all of your questions. If you have something that you want us to address, um, topics that you want us to cover, anything like that, you know, we're here to take our community back. Um, Hit us up on Instagram, uh, bh365podcast with the people in the back who act like they can't hear, which is probably you and your cousin. That is bh365podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining uh, another episode of the Black Health 365 podcast. I am Jackie Page. And I'm Brent Daniels. It was such a pleasure to be here. Peace, namaste, and love. Well, I'll let you later. Black Health 365 is an Urban One and Reach Media production hosted by Jackie Page and Britt Daniels, created by Samuel Tatum and Laura Lopez, executive produced by Brittany Jackson and Kadisha Campbell, editing and production, Jahi Whitehead, sales and corporate sponsorship, Patty Johnson.